Uh, if you've got a copy of God's Word this morning, please open up to the book of Romans. We'll be in chapter 1, starting in verse 18 through 32. Now, just as a reminder, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome, and it's a letter to a church that he did not start, so he might not have known any, everybody in that church, or really anybody in that church, but he had hoped that this church would help him continue his ministry of the gospel on into Spain. But this church was divided. This church um, had many historical issues going on with it that we don't have time to dive into, but they're mainly divided because the church was made up of Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. And so this church became ununified, but, but Paul was desire was to unify them. And he knew the only way to unify this church was to share the gospel, that they would be unified in the gospel. The gospel being the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then we heard last week that Paul was not ashamed of this gospel. Because he knew that the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes could be found in the gospel. And for in it, the righteousness of God is also revealed. So in the beginning, first 17 verses, Paul explains his purpose for writing. And now we start getting into the meat of his letter and him explaining the gospel. And like any good evangelistic message, um, it, it starts with the bad. If, if you were a part of our outreach training, we, we talked about the three circles, uh, a, a way of to share the gospel. And we started with the brokenness of humanity, the brokenness of the world. Or another way to share the gospel is, is called the bridge method, where you describe how God is here and man is here, and the only way to get to God is through the cross, right? And so we talk about the separation of, of man and God, and that separation is caused by what we call sin. And so what Paul is doing here is he's beginning to explain this separation and what has caused this separation, now, in this section of scripture that we're going to look at this morning, um, it is, it's a very controversial section of scripture. It has caused much debate uh, within our society and has been accused of being offensive. I read a story of a campus ministry that took this section of scripture, chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, and they wrote it out on a flyer. They, they didn't put where it was found. They didn't write Romans 1, chapter, eight, chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. No, they just wrote out the words. And then they said, come, hear the message, right? Well, it didn't take very long for the authorities of that university to pull in the leaders of this campus ministry and, and begin to tell them in no uncertain terms that they would be censored for their offensiveness, now, this is where it gets kind of funny. The authorities then demanded that these students hand over the author of the pamphlet. <laughs> I would have loved to have been just a person in that room just watching their faces. Going, well, actually, the person who wrote that was the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans that we find in the Word of God. But today we see, though, that this text is very clear. And it's also very offensive to many people. It can even be offensive 
to believers, right? As we wrestle with this text, it's something that we need to realize that we do need to wrestle with because it is God's word. And I hope that we allow the word of God to speak this morning and the word of God to do its work. My prayer this morning for us is that we will walk away with a greater understanding then of who we are and our great need for the gospel. And that at the end of this service that we will cry out in repentance towards God and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in all things. So what we see here in the beginning of Romans is that Paul is giving us a clear picture of why the gospel is good news and why we are in desperate need of it. And Paul understands like we do when we share the gospel that, that in order to recognize that there's good news, we need to understand the bad news. So we hold those up in comparison. And that's just what Paul is doing out, pointing out the depravity of man and what's lurking really deep inside of our hearts and our need to be saved through the gospel. So let's read this text together. Uh, hopefully you've got your Bibles open there. Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 32. And what I wanna do this morning is, is change a couple of words as we read, all right? I want to make this personal. So anytime we read them, let's change it to us. They to we, there to ours. You get the point, right? We're gonna, we're gonna make this text personal to us this morning. So let's stand to honor the reading of God's word. Start with me in verse 18. It says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and, unrighteous, and unrighteousness of men who by our unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be made known about God is plain to us because God has shown it to us for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that we are without excuse. For although we knew God, we did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but we became futile in, their, in our thinking and our foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, we became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave us up in the lust of our hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of our bodies among ourselves, because we exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. I love it how Paul jumps into worship as he talks about his creator. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave us up to dishonorable passions. For our women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for our error. And since we did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave us up to a debased mind to do what ought, what ought not to be done. 
We were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. We are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. We are haughty. No, sorry, we are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though we know God's righteous decrees, that those who practice such things deserve to die, we not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. May God be honored by the reading of his word. You all may be seated. So as you can see, we have a problem, not only with our screens, but with ourselves, <laughs> right? And the first thing that I want to do this morning is to recognize, for us to recognize our position, recognize your position before God. See, when we understand what sin has done, we find that we have a problem on our hands. Our position with God, our standing before him is not good. Now, we might be thinking, along with a lot of the other world that always gives us this, wait a second, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as that guy. And we point to Hitler, right, as our example of how we're not that bad. But all it takes is one sin, one sin against a holy God, a righteous God, to earn his wrath. All of us are then guilty. There is no one who can stand innocent before God on his own. Now, I know many of you know this, but just as a reminder, sin. The definition of sin or the way that we can understand sin is it simply means to miss the mark. All right, in archery, if you miss the target, it's called a sin. We miss the target all the time. Anything outside of the bullseye is a sin. Now, James 2.10 points out this. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. So you can hit the bullseye every time, your whole life, and miss it just once, just by a little bit. And you have sinned. And there's no participation trophy. Right? We are all sinners. We have all missed the mark. Because of that, we are separated from God. We cannot be in the presence of a holy, righteous God. Now, where did all of this begin? How, how has this happened? Well, let's follow Paul's argument. I'm not going to take us all the way back to the beginning in Genesis and Adam and Eve. But let's follow Paul's argument of the downward spiral of humanity. Okay? First... We suppress the truth about God by rejecting God as the creator. We're going to see this in verses 18 through 20. See, God wants his creation to know him. In verse 19, for what can be made known, or for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So what has been made known? Well, the truth about himself, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature. So how has he made this known to us? Well, read there. They have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that, he has made, that, that have been made, made by him, the creator. He has revealed himself in creation. 
Now, this revelation of God has been revealed in every leaf, in every sunrise, in every sunset, in every raindrop, in every inch of the cosmos since the beginning of time. God's revelation to us, let me try to put it in terms that we might be able to understand. All right? Jamie tells me, hey, please unload the dishwasher. Right? When you get home, unload the dishwasher. Great. Got it. I will unload the dishwasher when I get home. But Jamie knows me just like God knows me. Right? He puts a billboard up. Jamie puts a billboard up. Please unload the dishwasher. He puts a street marquee up. Flashing marquee, unload the dishwasher. Street sign, signs on buses, bumper stickers, t-shirts, an airplane pulling the sign. Please unload the dishwasher. But then I get home and I receive a text. Please unload the dishwasher. And I receive a phone call, which I don't answer because it's not a number I recognize. No. Leaves <laughs> a message. Please unload the dishwasher. An email. The five-second commercial on YouTube. Please unload the dishwasher. And then Jamie steps into the house as I'm sitting there watching television. And she asks me, did you unload the dishwasher? And my response is, oh, I forgot. That's the way we treat God in his revelation towards us. God was revealing himself over and over and over and over again. And there will be one day when we stand before God and God's gonna say, did you unload the dishwasher? And none of us will be able to say, God, I didn't know. Paul says, therefore, we are without excuse. We cannot stand before God and say, God, I didn't know that you were there. If you had just revealed yourself more clearly to me, then, then I would have been your obedient servant. We don't have that. God is revealing himself to us. So here's the problem then. We take all of God's attempts to catch our attention, to be in relationship with him, and Paul says that we suppress them. The picture that translates this word suppress the best is if you've ever tried to hold a beach ball underwater in a pool. Has anybody ever done that? Or is it just me? Okay, so people have done that. Okay, all right. You, you try to hold this beach ball under the water. And that's what we are doing with the truth about God. We're trying to push it down into the core of who we are, trying to hide it. Trying to say it doesn't exist, it's not there. And if you've ever tried to hold a beach ball under the water, what eventually happens? <sighs> right? This beach ball doesn't just kind of go and come up to the top. No, this beach ball explodes out of the depths of the water because it is the truth. So why do we do this? Why do we suppress the truth? Why do we ignore God's attempts to get our attention? Well, it's because we want to be our own God. We want to sit on the throne of our life. Now, watch what this does. Our suppressing of the truth then brings an unthankfulness towards God. A darkened heart, a foolish mindset. Verse 21, for although we knew God, the beach ball, right, the truth, we knew about God, 
Our knowledge never turned into an intimate knowledge that honored him as God, nor are we grateful for God. Refusing to honor God for who he is, is idolatry. So people who say that God is a God of love, but God is not a God of wrath, are not looking at the God of scripture, but a God made in their image. We must remember that God is a God of justice, that God is a God of righteousness, that God is a God of holiness. And we are not ones to tell God, you should be like this. I want you to look like this or act this way towards me. So verse 22 then continues on, this downward spiral. We claim, claiming to be wise, we became fools. Only wanting to embrace the attributes of God that make us comfortable with him and then reject the rest. I only like God being a loving God. I don't want the God of wrath. I only want God to be just when he's just to everybody else, not to me. So we reject the things that we are not comfortable with. And when we do that, we join the rest of humanity who strip God of his attributes and suppress the truth about who he is. The refusal to honor and worship God and to have hearts that are not filled with gratitude for what he has done are then what ultimately defines our fallenness. When we refuse to glorify God as God, we become futile in our thinking and our foolish hearts are darkened. Now this foolishness is a dangerous word. Jesus warns us about calling other people foolish, fools, but basically this means that we're being stupid or even worse, that we are being wicked because we are denying what we know to be true. Some of the greatest minds in the world have strayed so far. See, the purest knowledge is to know what is already in us, and that is the truth that the Lord has put in us, knowing and honoring God as God. And if you know that God is the author of all things, that is the purest that you can get. To deny that then is to continue to spiral away from the truth. So Paul continues then to build his, his argument by saying that we sink even further from God and we become idolaters or even worse, religious. Right? Verse 23 says we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We exchange the truth of God, the majestic, self-existent, eternal God of heaven and earth, and we begin to worship birds and bears and football and bank accounts and relationships. Can anything be more ridiculous than trading the creator God, the God who wants to know you for something that you have created. See, Paul builds his argument and he begins to move to not a complete list, but a list of sins that describe the radical corruption of the human race. 
In verse 24, Paul says, because our hearts have moved so far away from God that God has given us up to our lusts, the dishonoring of our bodies, basically living in sexual sin, which sexual sin is a sin against yourself. It's it's against God, but it's also a sin against yourself. Now, verse 25, he says, he has given us over to ourselves because we exchange the truth about God for a lie. So trying to hold down the beach ball, right? We try to exchange it for something else. Something that we can live with. Something that is comfortable to us. Something that makes us happy. And this leads us then into an even further downward spiral from God. So now we're at this point of the text that everybody wants to hear. Everybody wants to know how are we going to handle this topic of homosexuality. Now, many of us have friends and family that fall into this topic. People that we love, people that we care about. So as we consider this, let's talk, let's walk through this section with our eyes focused on the creator God. Verse 26 and 27, what Paul does here is he begins with this sin of homosexual behavior because he sees this as the best representation of the radical nature of our fall. It is seen here not simply as a sin, but as the clearest expression of the depths of our perversity. Paul states that this behavior is contrary to nature, contra naturum against nature, not simply against culture, not simply against a societal convention, but against God's creation. God did not create mankind to be this way. So there's no such thing as natural, as a natural homosexual being. When someone argues the genetics of sexuality, they're arguing the nature of man. This is why Genesis is so important. This is not the way God created man. So now this brings us back to the issue that goes way deeper than whether you choose this lifestyle or if you're made this way, but to the issue of who gets to sit on the throne of your life. So Paul continues to show us this downward spiral Remember, it all first started with God revealing himself to us. And we deny him by suppressing the truth. We do not honor him or give him thanks. And we begin to worship created things instead of the creator. And we went as far as to tell God that we know ourselves better than he knows us. And we kick him off the throne of our heart. We continue in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, since God does not sit on the throne of your heart, God has given you up to do what ought not to be done. It's not only sin against God, now he's saying, go ahead and sin against yourself. Hurt yourself. Verse 29, Paul begins this list to list out sins, and it's not exhaustive, as I said, but the sin of homosexuality is just as bad as the sin of lust. 
or greed. Now, make sure we understand, though, there's greater consequences for homosexuality because, it, it, Paul states it this way, because in it you receive in you the penalty due or the due penalty. Remember, it's a sin against yourself. But what we must remember is that sin is sin. We have missed the mark. See, Paul's not just building an argument against homosexuality. No, what he is doing and what we see here is that none of us can walk away from reading this list free from sin. How do I know? Well, let's read it again. Filled with unrighteousness, check. Evil, check. Covetousness, malice, envy, murder. I've never murdered anybody. Go back to Matthew chapter five. Murder is hate, right? Jesus said, I didn't tell you not to murder. I told you don't hate anybody. Strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. We are all guilty. How do I know? Because Paul put in there disobedient to parents. None of us are free from that. So what does God do about this? This is our second point where we need to understand the problem. We need to realize our penalty because we are all guilty of de-godding God, as D.A. Carson says. All the wrath of God is revealed against us. Our penalty is the wrath of God. What does God do with sin? He destroys it. So now, this wrath is not like what most of us come to understand wrath. It's not some wild emotional outburst like maybe we remember our parents having when we did something wrong. No, God is slow to anger, but he doesn't wink at sin. He takes sin very seriously. And unfortunately, because we have replaced God with an idol, many of us don't see the wrath of God's impact right now. See, God's wrath is being revealed to us right now from heaven, from his all-seeing point of view. How is it being revealed, you ask? That's great. He says it three times. Ready? God gave them up, verse 24. God gave them up, verse 26. God gave them up, verse 28. God said that if you want to be the God of your life, go ahead. If you believe your ways are better than mine, go ahead, I give you up. If you trust your heart and your feelings instead of me, go ahead, I give you up. God knows the path of destruction. He created you. He knows your ways. He knows what you have been created for. But if you believe that you know better than him, he's not gonna play the puppet master of your life. You have the choice to live for him or to not, but we will all be held accountable for our lives before him. Even for the believer, we can walk in our own way. We can suppress the truth. We can tell God what we will do for him if he allows us to have this. 
Or we say God wants us to be happy. If God wants me to be happy, then he will allow me to make this decision. We suppress the Holy Spirit as he tells us to run and flee from sin, flee from temptation. But check this out. One day in the final judgment, we will see clearly and perfectly the creator God. And we will see clearly that he is God and that we are not and that we deserve the penalty that is due on us. It will be very clear. So now what? Well, we respond to the gospel. The gospel is good news. This is the greatest news that we can have because we have all gone astray from God. Knowing the truth, we have suppressed it. We've tried to find life elsewhere. And in that, we have sinned against each other. And more importantly, we have sinned against God. And trust me, you will never be satisfied by anything that you put yourself through or into away from God. It will leave you wanting more. Everything that man has tried to fill his life with has left him empty. Whether it's through searching for happiness in a relationship, through trying to find fulfillment in a career, through children, through a better house, through a different identity. Students and kids, you will never find your complete joy in a sport. It will always let you down. Perfect grades will let you down. Relationships will let you down. Trying to live up to social media standards will let you down. So here's the good news. No matter what you have done in your past, no matter what you're doing today, no matter what lifestyle you live, no matter what sins you are addicted to right now, it doesn't matter. God loves you and has sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. He wants you to believe in what Christ has done for you on the cross. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you may feel from God, nothing will separate you from the love of God. So this is the good news. All of that wrath that God has towards our sin, he says, I'm gonna pay that for you in my son Jesus. I'm gonna take care of that for you in the life, death, and resurrection of my son Jesus. That should lead us to worship, right? Yeah. So how do we respond to this good news? Well, you confess that you're a sinner before God. And then you turn from your sinful ways. All right, this doesn't mean that I can continue to live in my sinful actions. I continue to live in my greed and my lust and my homosexuality. I cannot continue to live in that. So I turn from it. And I tell God that I want him to take his rightful place on the throne of my heart. And then God will come in and fill your life with grace. And then you grow. You grow in your relationship with him. That's the good news. God has paid the price on your behalf. And all we have to do is believe and follow. Believe and follow. So why wouldn't we do that today? 
God, open up our eyes to see the beauty of the gospel. Let's pray together. 